Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's dig in. Not to discourage anyone from inviting guests, but uh, this Sunday morning series that we're going to be covering for the next eight weeks, it really is very much for our youth ministry. And again, there's always going to be something out of it that uh, a guest can get. But man, when I think about uh, where we're going, what we're doing, and what God has in store for us next, uh, this is really something that's going to be more of a devotional study, and I think it'll really help balance out the doctrinal side of things from Wednesday nights. Um, But man, when I was really thinking about this, this is something that was a personal study of mine that I started uh, just this year, actually. Because for me personally, there are times in my life where I don't know what the next step is. And sometimes God is like, hey, right now I I have many things to say unto you, but you can't bear it now, so just go one day at a time. But even with that, there are a lot of times in my life where I kind of struggle with confidence, where I'm like, okay, it seems as though God's leading me in this direction here, but what if it's my decision? What if it's me thinking that this is where I'm supposed to go next? What if instead of going this way, I should actually pivot and go this route? And there are a lot of times in my life personally where I struggle with, with vision of knowing what's the next step, and then even beyond that, where am I supposed to go from there? And again, just thinking about the church uh, send-off and thinking about us as a youth ministry, where is it that God's leading us? What is it that we see God doing in our midst so that we know what that next step is and to have the wisdom to be able to, make, to, to start making that that. That uh, path down the road. You know, I'm reminded, uh, if you want to write down Proverbs 22, verse 3, it says that a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple, they pass on. And does anybody know how it's finished? And they're punished. They're destroyed. You see, we need to have wisdom and we need to have vision. Because as we're reminded in Proverbs 29, without vision, people what? We need to know where God's going as a youth ministry. We need to know where God is leading us personally with everything. Like right now, many of you guys are contemplating, what's next for me after high school? Am I going here? Should I go here? Maybe I should wait. Maybe I shouldn't go at all. Should I be hanging out with these friends still? They're really kind of giving me a hard time. It's really kind of struggling uh, for me to keep pure and for me to to stay focused on the mission when I keep hanging out with them. But I still want to be a light, but they keep dragging me back down into darkness. What do I do? A lot of decisions that we need to, to come to grips with, and we need to know where are we going? What are we doing? What's that next step? And so I titled this series, Anoint Thine Eyes, and I hope that you guys have a massive migraine from looking at the header on your study sheet from just looking at that. But really the key headline verse is this. And I kind of had fun with this little header too. It's 2 Peter 1.9. Look at it at the top of your study sheet. But he that lacketh these things is what? You have no vision. You can't see where God's moving you. You can't see where God is going. You can't see what the next step down the road is. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Well, if there are certain things that can cause us to be blind if we lack them, don't you think it's probably good that we should know what it is exactly that he's asking for us to have and to keep and to add to our faith so that we're not blind, so that we know where God's leading? Don't you think we should take heed to those things? No? That was 
Kind of rhetorical, but you can also answer if you want. Yes. Thank you, yes. We need to know these things. We need to know where it is that, that God is leading us. Uh, so tonight, or tonight, today's message, uh, week one, it's called Eye-Opening. You get it? Because it's the opening of the new series, it's Eyes Vision. Just think on it, you'll get it, you'll get it. Just think on it. Follow along with me as we, uh, as we look through this introduction. Maybe it'll help give you a little bit more of a sense as to where we're going with the study. So our vision this year as a church is occupied till I come. That means we as a collective body are to possess what God has given us. But what does that look like for our senior high? Even more so, how do you personally achieve this goal? To do this, we all need to know what our personal vision is. Where does God have you now? And where is he leading you? Now, sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it isn't. And other times, you think you see where God is leading, but it's really us calling the shots. I have Revelation 3 up here on the screen. Gee, it sounds like we're going to be covering this in a few weeks on Wednesday nights. Talking about the church age that you and I live in right now, John, or actually Christ is saying through John, because thou sayest, church, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Hey, I'm good where I'm at right now. I'm good in my walk with God. I'm taking things one day at a time. I don't need to look into the future. I don't need to consider what God might have in store for me. I've made up my mind as to what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to tag God's name along to it. We often do that a lot. We often don't want to stop and think, maybe God doesn't want me to do that. Maybe God doesn't want me to go there. Maybe God doesn't want me hanging out with those people. It's usually the opposite. We think we have it all together and know better. And look what he says after that. You say these things and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the biggest character trait of Laodicea, it's not necessarily that they have false doctrine. It's not necessarily that they don't have a final authority. It's not necessarily that they're preaching a false gospel. You know the biggest character trait that Jesus uses to describe the church age that you and I live in right here now today? It's self-deception. Self-deception. You say you're all of these things, and they're not lying. Otherwise, Jesus would rebuke them for it and call them out and say, you guys are liars. They're not lying. They say they're this thing, and they actually believe it. They think and believe that they're in right standing with God. They think and believe that the decisions and choices they're going to make after high school, and as far as who they're going to date and where they're going to go to college, where they're going to work, who they're going to hang out with, they think that they're good where they're at. And in some cases, they don't realize, they know not, that it's actually the exact wrong opposite direction of where God might be leading them. Now, maybe not, but you've got to wrestle to make sure, one way or another, where God's actually sending you. But he gives them counsel. He says, I counsel thee, anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. It was a balm. It was medicine that they would uh, apply to their eyes. People who were having a hard time seeing lacking vision, they would apply it to their eyes so that they can clearly see. And back on your study sheet, every now and then you need to anoint thine eyes with eye salve to see clearly where you are right now 
and more importantly, where you're going. Anybody tell me what Psalm 119, 105 says? Ethan? You ever thought about the order of those words in that verse and how perfectly ordered they were? Jesus says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, so I'm able to see where I'm at currently to make sure, are there any snakes around right now? If I take one step to the left or one step to the right, am I going to fall into a pit? What is my footing right now? What ground am I on? Thy word is a lamp so I can clearly see where I am. And then a light to my path so I can see what's in front of me with every step that I take as I walk with God. That's what we need to do. The first few verses of Peter's second epistle provide the ingredients for an excellent concoction of ISAF. So this week's going to serve more as kind of an introduction before uh, we really dive into what the next seven weeks are going to be all about. But follow along with me in verse 1. Can I get a reader for that? Now, before we actually do that, we should probably go ahead and pray. Who wants to open us up in prayer? Kendall. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for this day and God. Thank you just for allowing us to meet here. Um, Lord, I know that it's hard for the church, but there's everything going on. I pray that this would um, not discourage us, but that it would just mm-hmm. encourage us to invite more people. Mm-hmm. And to generalize brighter for you, God, I pray that you would just speak through Corey this morning. Um, get him out of the way and just speak to all of us and give us something that we can take out of this to glorify you more, Lord. I love you. Amen. 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 All right. A reader for verse 1. Carson. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I love how Peter starts this thing off. Love it. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't know. If I'm Peter and I wanted to establish my credentials, if I was writing this thing, and it wasn't under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would probably let the people know that I'm writing to, hey, I was one that was with Christ. I was an apostle with the Lord. So you guys better hear what I have to say, not how our man Pete starts things off. And in fact, if it was him, I don't know, during the time that he was walking with Christ, he might have started things off a little bit differently. This is a man who's more mature in his walk. This is a man who has caught a vision of what God wants him to do. And look how he kicks it off. Simon Peter, a servant. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I have as an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know what he reminds us of here in verse 1 on your outline in point number 1? He gives us a reminder of what the end goal of every discipleship relationship should produce. A what? A servant. A servant. Every end goal of every discipleship relationship, that should be the primary goal. Now you might be thinking to yourself, man, you know, when I got into discipleship, the reason why I signed up for it is because I wanted to learn more about what the Bible says. I wanted to know more of the Bible. And a beautiful motivation that is. And that should be a goal of discipleship. But as a byproduct not the prime product not the primary goal for those of you in here who are discipling maybe a junior higher or you started discipleship with somebody at your school the end goal when you finish that final lesson should be that your disciple 
is established in the work of the Lord. Whether in the form of the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. They are a reproducer. They are a discipler. Or just in the most fundamental sense, hey, there's a need in the church. Oh, what, holding babies? Okay, I'll do it. Servant. Serving. That should be the end goal. This is so fundamental that Jesus Christ Himself used it as the object lesson to His very final lesson to His disciples. Letter A on your outline. The very last lesson of discipleship. Anybody know what's going on in John 13? It's all. It's his final words, yeah. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. You have this awesome lesson where it's mostly Christ talking the entire time throughout those chapters. And he's given them such encouraging words that, hey, you know what? It's time for me to go now. I'm about ready to go to the cross. Everything I've been preparing and training you guys for, everything I've been teaching you up for the last three and a half years, it's coming to a head, and the baton's about to get passed. It's coming, but be of good cheer. I'm going to give you guys the comforter so that you can carry on. And that you, if abide in me and I in you, you're going to be my disciples indeed. You're going to bear much fruit. And the Spirit's going to speak all things for you when you're witnessing and when you're sharing your faith in front of your friends and your family members. Don't worry about it. I'm going to speak for you. And then he ends in chapter 17 with this beautiful prayer. But you know how he kicks it off in chapter 13? He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes his disciples' feet. That's how he kicks off his final lesson. Before he goes on to this long lecture format for four chapters, five chapters, he washes their feet. And he says this specifically, verses 14 and 15, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... Ye also ought to wash who? One another's. One another's feet. And don't miss this last verse. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. His very final lesson after spending three and a half years with these guys is, you see me as the discipler washing your feet? This is what you ought to be doing with each other. This is what you ought to be doing for everyone else. You guys, hey, three and a half years. I'm not sending you guys off to the Jerusalem Bible Institute. No. Just serve. Get involved in the work. Take the last three and a half years of what I've given you and exhaust yourself in serving and giving it to others. And just being there for people. And just loving on them. And when there's a need, fill it. I love it. I love it. That's how he kicks off the final lesson. That's why the end goal of every discipleship relationship, it should produce a servant. And Carson read in verse 1. Carson, go ahead and read the second half of it again. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Finish it. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now see, he talks about this precious faith. 
This is our precious faith. And in letter B on your outline, if the faith we possess is as precious to us as it was to Peter, we will serve also. John 12, 26. I love how this is worded. If any man serve me, let him what? Uh, someone give me, what's a simple definition of what a disciple is? A follower of God. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You want to know what the best kind of definition of what you're supposed to do after discipleship? Uh, just go where Christ goes. Go where you see Him working and join Him there. Serve where He's serving. This is why we always need to keep our eyes open for opportunities at school to share Christ. You see somebody at the, in the cafeteria that's having a conversation, or you see somebody who's going through a major trial, and they're looking for hope, and they have no idea where to go. That's where you step in. Isn't that what Christ did in the Gospels? He went and met needs with where people were. We ought to be looking within too, see what needs we have each other and help serve each other as well. The precious faith. Check out Psalm 126.6 later, but how do we, how do we you know, uh, uh, serve in this capacity? Psalm 126.6, as I kind of already mentioned, it says that you know, we need to go forth bearing precious seed. What's the precious seed? The Word of God. We take it as a farmer and we're just spreading it and we're just sowing it in the fields. Like I already said in those examples, looking for areas where God is moving. Mark down Ephesians 1.1 also and check that out later. Paul starts off that chapter, that book, in a very, very unique way with distinguishing between two groups of people. He's writing to the church and he says to them, I'm writing to you Christians... You saints of God, those of you who have received Christ as your Savior, and I'm writing to the faithful saints. There's a difference. There's the saints of God, and then there's the faithful saints. Faithful saints are serving saints. You have people who are saved. Come to church every Sunday. Come to church every Wednesday. But they're not doing anything with what they've heard. They're just saints. And then there's the faithful. Which are you? And that's actually a great time to kind of ask all together, where are you at with this whole discipleship thing? Do you need discipled? For those of you who have finished discipleship, what's your walk been like since you finished? Not only that, what are you doing with what you've been given? If you're just keeping it to yourself and not doing anything with it, then what was the point? You know, it's kind of interesting. I, it just kind of hit me with it today. You know, again, kind of this whole idea of vision and, and with Laodicea, how we get into our minds and in our, I, our head as to what ideas that we have of where we think we should go. I think I should go here for college. I think I should go to college. I think I should date this person. We get it in our heads that this is what we should be doing, and we kind of just tag God's name along with it to make ourselves feel better without really contemplating and thinking, oh, is this really the best decision? 
or is this me trying to impose my will? You know, uh, just again, thinking about the need that we have in our church right now for more servants, which by the way, thank you to those of you who, when you heard that, the need that we have for birth to, I think it's kindergarten teachers and helpers, thank you to those of you that signed up. I've seen some of you guys that took that initiative and did that, so thank you. But you know what? If it was me in high school, I might have looked at that and been like, ah, oh, man, babies? I can't really teach them the gap or the seven dispensations of Scripture. What good is that then? Nine if you count eternity past and eternity future. What good is that then? And you might not realize that it might not be as appealing, but you just going in there and loving on them, getting down on the ground and playing with them, that's service. And it hit me today, and I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to share this, aren't I? But you know, like, uh, I love teaching. I love sharing what God's laid on my heart, and I am not the best administrator at all. And like this past week, as like I'm kind of going through and learning the whole idea of what goes into planning and preparing for camp, like, you know, calling trucking companies and we're like, hey, what's the rate to take us from here to Beulah Beach? And then, oh man, I got to contact your garage up there to see what's the rate from Beulah Beach over to Cedar Point and then Kalahari and then back again and then getting us back from Beulah Beach to here. And like, that's just for the trucking. And I'm sitting here looking like, man, there's nothing appeal. How on earth does this have anything Oh, yeah, it may not be the most appealing thing, but this is service. And even I need uh, attitude adjustment as far as how I view certain things that may not be the most appealing, may not get the most glory. But man, it's needed all the more so. So how are you doing? How are you doing with your service? Simon Peter shotguns this entire book off by reminding us of that. And point number two. Can I get a reader for verses two and three? <laughs> Dustin. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Man, you know what we learned through these two verses here? Point number two, we're reminded that God has given everything required to facilitate or help our service. We just need to know what is expected of us. Two times in these two verses, he mentions knowledge. That, he, that he, he's praying that peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory. God has given you and I everything we need to accomplish the mission that He has given us and commissioned us to do. We just need to know it. So do you know it? Do you know it? Uh, real quick before we dive into the, to these little points here, I love the fact that he says, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And really, when you think about just your life in general, every single topic, every single issue, every single emotion, fear, uh, element, action, deed, thought, it's all right here. Everything that pertains to life. 
even down to the nitty gritties. I've heard it said that if you just study, if a business person, a businessman who wants to start his own company just studied the book of Proverbs and ran his business based upon the book of Proverbs, you'll have the most success out of any other business. I've heard that said about that book because of the principles that are found therein for life, for making a living. But I'm sure you guys know that what Peter's talking about here in verses 2 and 3, he's given us all things that pertain to eternal life. And the thing that strikes me about that, and we're going to look at this more in the coming weeks on Wednesday nights as we dive into church history, but you know the thing that stirs me and just kind of gets me a little aggravated? I was even just going over... Uh, this Wednesday's lesson yesterday. And the thing that just really irks me is that, you know, most churches, they stop right there in that verse. They will stop right there, practically speaking, as far as, you know, God has given you all things that pertain to life. Because they are only focusing on the gospel side of things. They're only focusing on getting people saved. And yeah, to that I say amen. But there's more than that. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, God doesn't just say, okay, call it a day because you guys got saved. Nothing else to worry about now. No, 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 that's just the beginning of your Christian life. He wants to equip you to be more like Him, godliness, godlikeness, so that you can go out and reach more people with the life side of it, with reaching them with the gospel and then teaching them to be godly so that they can go out and do the same thing. Most churches just focus on the gospel side and they completely neglect to train up their own people in the way they should go to reach the world for Him. And it's sad. And we don't do that here. And praise God we don't. He wants to take us further. He wants to take us further than that. But knowledge. God's given us all things for life and godliness. Do you believe it? And letter B, well, first off, letter A, sorry. This usage of the word knowledge, it's the way that we commonly use the word know. Oh, I know this. I know these stats of this fighter. I know all of the elements on the chemical periodic table. Weird. I was just reminded this week, got my first D ever in chemistry because I had to memorize that stupid periodic table and the stupid number associated with every single stinking one of them. Why? Anyways. Sorry, trauma. trauma, traumatic times. It's how we commonly use the word know. Oh, I know him, I know her, I know this about them. It means to recognize, it means to have discernment, it means to acknowledge. So all the things that pertain to life and godliness that we ought to know, look at point number one. We need to know that sinners don't like to retain the knowledge of God. That's what Romans 1.28 says. They love their sin. They don't want an authority in their life. They don't want a final authority. They don't want to retain in their head that they're going to have to stand before a holy and righteous God on Judgment Day. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the what? Hebrews 9.27? 28? Read all of Hebrews 9. You'll find it. And you'll be blessed because you read more verses. That's how it works. They don't like to retain that in their head. They don't like to retain the fact that one day they're going to have to give an account of their sin before a holy and righteous God. And so they try to fill and numb their life with as much sin and as much carnality as they possibly can just to kind of keep that at bay. They don't like to retain the knowledge of God. We need to know that sinners don't like to retain the knowledge of God. Why? 
so that we can constantly remind them of the very fact that they're going to one day give an account after they take their last breath on this earth. They need to know that. Letter B, or number two, sorry, rather. The law on the conscience paired with the word reveal the knowledge of sin. That's what Romans 2.15 says. And Romans 3.20 up here on the screen says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the what? That's why we go before them. They don't like to retain God, the knowledge of God in their head. We remind them with the law and with the word of God, bearing witness with their conscience, the fact that they are sinners. They need to know that. And God's given us everything according to life and godliness so through the knowledge of Him. That's what they need to know, and we need to know that. And number three, acknowledging who Jesus Christ truly is. These are things that pertain to life and godliness, is it not? To know and acknowledge the mystery of God that Colossians 2, 2 says, and as we just touched on last Wednesday in 1 Timothy 3.16, the, the mystery of God is Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. God left His throne on high and entered into the vessel. It came down bodily form of Jesus Christ. That's who God is. Came here amongst men. They need to know that. It pertains to life and godliness. And number four, things that pertain to life and godliness, we need to know the truth of the gospel. Or rather, they need to know the truth of the gospel and believe unto salvation. Believe is your blank. Again, you're familiar with Romans 10, 9 and 10, what they need to do with that gospel. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto thee? Knowledge of the truth. We need to be very clear and articulate in our gospel presentation. We can't afford to fumble through things. We need to know how to clearly tell people what they need to know in order to pertain to life, eternal life, and how to walk godly so that they can lead others to life and godliness. They need to know what they need to do in order to be saved, and they need to believe, receive that salvation. And finally, in number five, growing in your walk as you put on Christ daily. That's what you need to know. Colossians 3.10 And have put on the new man which is renewed in what? After the image of him that created him. Are these not things that pertain to life and godliness that people need to know? Now before you flip it over, real quick, just look back at the last five points. Specifically look at the blanks that you have there. Starts with God. Then sin comes into the world. Jesus Christ tries to fix that problem of sin by entering this world, and He makes a way for all of us to be saved again by believing on Him, and then we grow in our walk in order to reach others for Him. You could present the Gospel if you just memorize those five blanks on your study sheet. But here's the thing, though. We won't, in some cases, and because we won't, that's where Hosea 4.6 becomes an all-too-familiar reality for a lot of us. If you want to write down Hosea 4.6. God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. People are destroyed because they don't know the things that you and I are to know because this book contains all things to life and godliness. 
and we won't tell them. We need to know these things. So, another question for you. Do you know the things that pertain to life and godliness? Do you know them enough to tell others so that they know what is expected? This is what we see just in the first three verses of Simon Peter's second epistle. Not only in point number one, that the end goal of discipleship is to be a servant, but in point number two, we see that as servants, we've been given all that we need to accomplish our service. But, brings us to point three, the reminder that we have an enemy. Can I get a reader for verse four? Sam. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So point number three on your outline. He talks about these precious promises, that we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The word lust is talking about a, a turning on itself. Galatians 5.17 says that the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It's warfare. It means to turn on itself. These two are not compatible. They are constantly fighting and at odds with each other. And see, when the service gets tough, when we have that opposition that's in our life, we need to fall back on the precious promises of our precious faith to be more like Christ. You see how he says that we might be partakers of the divine nature? He's saying when we are going through the thick of it, when the world and our flesh and the devil are pounding at us and knocking on our door, we need to resort to the precious promises of Scripture knowing that it's going to make us more like Him. Partakers of the divine nature. We're going to see in the weeks to come, I think it's Romans chapter 5, if you want to look that up later, it talks about that when we suffer, when we are going through hard times, God uses those hard times to chip away and chisel away the branches in our life that bear forth no fruit in our lives. Things in our life that make us still not being able to fully accomplish what God wants us to do, He uses those hard times, those trials and temptations to make us more like Him. We just need to let Him do His work so that we can be partakers of that divine nature. But here's the thing, though. Those promises, those psalms that you have for when the trying times get tough... And hopefully you keep building that repertoire that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Those promises in letter A, they must be received and believed in order to take effect. What does Romans 10.17 say? So then faith... Louder. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. Do you need your faith strengthened? Do you find yourself throughout the week saying, man, I'm just getting blasted today at school. Work's no better. Lord, increase my faith. Strengthen my faith. I feel so weak. If you need your faith strengthened, where do you need to take heed to? The precious promises of the Word of God. Scripture. The Bible. 
You can't just hear it, though, because if you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself in James 1. That's why, oh, this verse looks familiar. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that what? They must be received and believed. You can't just read it and hear it and not do anything with it. You have to believe it. Because letter B, opposition to stop you from serving is going to be fierce. Anything the enemy can do to get you to lose sight of the fact that the end goal of discipleship is for you to be an established servant in the work of the Lord, anything he can do, he's going to throw at you. Opposition to stop serving will be fierce, but the outcome works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I got 2 Corinthians 4.17 on the screen here. For our light affliction. Man, do yourselves another favor for homework. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 4, and chapter 11. And just see some of the things that Paul describes that he went through. And then finish it with this verse. You see a long laundry list of things he went through where he was beaten and whipped. And he calls it a light affliction. A mosquito bite, essentially. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When you suffer for Christ and you suffer well, you don't gripe, you don't complain about it, but you keep doing the work of the Lord and serving Him, that suffering is going to pay on comparison in the light of the riches and wealth you are going to pile up in eternity one day when you stand before Christ and cast all of your crowns back at His feet because you suffered well, because you endured temptation, because you didn't give in when everyone else did. It's going to be a light affliction. Romans 8 says, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us on that day. Not worthy to be compared. Whatever it is you're going through. What was your biggest struggle this week? Don't answer out loud. Andy's was trying to just get some sleep because he thought Sophia was going to sneak into his room and shank him. Your kids <laughs> What was your biggest fear? What was your biggest struggle this week? If we endure, we go to the precious promises to combat that, it's going to be but a light affliction. It'll be but a light affliction to get you through the next day to the next hurdle, whatever it is that God's going to throw at you. Again, we're setting the groundwork this week before we dive into how do we really establish vision? How do we know where God's going to lead us personally, individually? And speaking of temptation, I love this verse. I know it's a long one. Every single one of you guys should memorize this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. No, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's common to man. And not only that, as I mentioned Wednesday, Christ was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. You have an advocate with the Father you can go to because He understands. He gets it. He went through it. Oh, I'm so glad the verse doesn't end there. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, 
but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You know, Heather reminds me all the time that God's not given us any more than we can bear, even though it seems like it at times, even though it seems as though this is just too much. There's just so much going on. There's just too many things. And it's like that guy at the circus who he's got like those, those pins and he's balancing plates and he's got one on his foot and then one on his head and then one on his chin and he's making sure the plates don't fall because if one falls, he's going to lose his, his distraction and they're all going to tumble down. Feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Feels like God's just piled on too much with work, with homework, with school. Oh yeah, school from homework. Temptation, kids making fun of you, Andy making fun of you. <laughs> Seems like it. He's not giving you more than what you're able to, but he's going to make a way to escape. Do you believe that precious promise that's on the screen? We need to if we're going to press on because... And before I make, before we go on to number four, we're going to wrap up here real quick. But here's the thing. Look again at your outline at the first three, the first three bullet points, the first three points, rather, points one, two, and three. Some of you aren't even at number one yet. And that's okay. As long as you see that you're not there yet and you're doing the proper steps that you need to, like getting discipled so that you can be a part of the work of the Lord. But some aren't at point number one. A good majority go through points one through three, where you're serving, you know what's expected of you as a servant, and you have opposition in your service. Some go through those first three points, but then the cycle repeats itself. Maybe because you gave in to temptation, and instead of getting right with God right away, you kind of lull for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, because you're lulling for a little bit, you just stop serving the Lord altogether. And then eventually come to a point, kind of like a summer camp or a winter camp, where God reveals to you, you know, you've kind of not been walking with me for the last couple of months. And then he dawns, that dawns on you, and you're like, oh, goodness, Lord, I, I need to get back into it, and I'm sorry, Lord, for the time I wasted. I'm getting back into service. And then the cycle just repeats itself. Those first three bullet points we covered. Some are at step one. A good majority are at steps one, two, three, and they just repeat. Very, very few Go on to point four. We must set the distractions of the world and the flesh aside and press further in our walk with Christ. Why? How do we do that? 2 Peter 1.5 And beside this, giving all diligence, diligence, add to your faith. And he gives us here at the end of verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, seven character qualities that we need to add to our faith in order to keep us pressing against the opposition, in order to keep us established in what we know we need to do, in order to keep us serving God. You add these things to your faith, letter A, it can't just be a, uh, <laughs> I add to my faith these things. You can't just declare it. You can't just say it. He says, add diligently. Letter A, you must fight vigorously to do this. This is a part of your daily battle every single morning when you wake up. Psalm 119, 4 says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. 
keep thy heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23 says. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Those issues that you're contemplating, what's next after high school? That's it. You better keep your heart with all diligence because you're keeping your heart in the precepts of God diligently so that you can fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy 6.12. And Jude 3 says, Behold, or Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly fight to add these things. It's not just a simple matter of, okay, reading it. Oh, I now know what this word means, so I have, by osmosis, added it to my faith. No. We need to fight vigorously for these things, and that's why we're going to spend the next seven weeks going over those seven character qualities. And by the way, I'm a big uh, definitions guy. Letter B. The word diligence, all of those verses we just looked at that had diligence or diligently listed, diligence means speedily. It means to execute with haste. It means eagerness, earnestness. Why? Because in number five, our response, whether we add to our faith or choose not to, choose just to live the status quo or add to our faith, our response will forever affect eternity one way or another. How so? Well, he tells us to add these things to our faith. Look what's going to happen if we do. For those of you who are like, I'm all in, I want to have a clear understanding of where I am right now, and I want to know even more so where God is leading me personally. Because if I know where God is leading me personally, and we all are on the same page, now we'll know where God's going to lead us as a youth ministry. And if we know where God's going to lead us as a youth ministry, we'll be able to see things and God do things in the rest of this church. And we'll start planting GBCs all over this county, all over this state, all over this country, all over this world. Because that is the goal. If we choose that we're all in, one day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we did these things, we did what God asked us to do with the precious promises because we served Him well, we're going to present everything before Him. All of our work, all of our heart motive and attitude, it's going to be all precious metals and that'll survive the fire. The holy eyes of God trying our works, what it is. Look at verse 8. He says, for if these things, again, the seven character traits we're going to look at in the next couple weeks, if these things be in you and abound, pay close attention to these next words because they're not used lightly. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why that's important? Jesus said in John 15, 8, that if you have much fruit, if you have fruit, then are you my disciples indeed. If you don't have fruit, it's just a disciple in name only. You're fruitful. You're not barren. But check out verses uh, 10 and 11. He goes on. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things... Ye shall, eh, you'll fall sometimes. Just get back up. Is that what it says? Does he say you'll fall sometimes? No. What does he say? You will never fall. Are you tired of stumbling throughout the week and falling? Are you tired of the sin that easily besets you and the weights? 
You tired of going through the same sin you've struggled with since forever? Tired of falling into it? Add these things to your faith and be diligent and fight vigorously for them. Make haste to add them to your faith. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. That's if you decide, I'm all in and I'm going to do it. I'm going to add them to my faith. But, if we don't, if, our, if we decide to just serve the Lord out of duty only and with a horrible heart attitude, the work we're going to present the judgment seat of Christ is going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to get burned up. <laughs> and we're not going to have anything to show that we were servants for Christ here on this earth. Verse 9, and it's the headline verse of the study sheet. He that lacketh these things is what? And cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Do you want to have vision? Do you want to know clearly where God is leading you? And consequently where God is leading this ministry? If you want to have vision, we need to make sure we're each personally adding these things to our faith, and that's what we're going to kick off next week with. But make sure you're doing the fundamental parts first, that you're involved in the work of the Lord, you know what that is and what's expected of you, and that when opposition comes, you cling to the precious promises of God so that you can diligently add these things to your faith before next week. Let's pray.